Section 14 of Violets and Other Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Violets and Other Tales by Alice Moore. Section 14. A Story of Vengeance. Yes, Eleanor. I have grown grayer. I'm younger than you, you know. But then, what have you to age you? A kind husband? Lovely children? While I, I'm nothing but a lonely woman. Time goes slowly, slowly for me now. Why did I never marry? Move that screen a little to one side, please. My eyes can scarcely bear a strong light. Bernard? Oh, that's a long story. I'll tell you if you wish. It might pass an hour. Do you ever think to go over the old school days? We thought such foolish things then, didn't we? There wasn't one of us but imagined we would have only to knock ever so faintly on the portals of fame, and they would fly wide for our entrance into the magic realms. On commencement night, we whispered merrily among ourselves on the stage, to see our favorite planet, Venus, of course, smiling at us through a high open window, bidding adieu to her astronomy class, we said. Then you went away to plunge into the most brilliant whirl of society, and I stayed in the beautiful old city to work. Bernard was very much on evidence those days. He liked you a great deal because in schoolgirl parlance you were my chum. You say... Thanks. No tea. It reminds me that I'm an old maid. You say you know what happiness means, maybe. But I don't think any living soul could experience the joy I felt in those days. It was absolutely painful at times. Byron and his counterparts are ever dear to the womanly heart, whether young or old. Such a man was he, gloomy, misanthropical, tired of the world, with a few dozen broken love affairs among his varied experiences. Of course, I worshipped him secretly. What romantic, silly girl of my age would not, being thrown in such constant contact with him? One day he folded me tightly in his arms and said, Little girl, I have nothing to give you in exchange for that priceless love of yours, but a heart that has already been at another's feet, and a wrecked life. "'But may I ask for it?' "'It is already yours,' I answered. "'I'll draw the veil over the scene which followed. "'You know. You've been there.' "'Then began some of the happiest hours "'that ever the jolly old sun beamed upon, "'or the lovesick moon clothed in her rays of silver. "'Deceived me? No, no.' He admitted that the old love for Blanche was still in his heart, but that he had lost all faith and respect for her, and could never more be other than a friend. Well, I was fool enough to be content with such crumbs. We had five months of happiness. I tamed down beautifully in that time, even consented to adopt the peerless Blanche as a model. I gave up all my most ambitious plans and cherished schemes, because he disliked women whose names were constantly in the mouth of the public. 
In fact, I became quiet, sedate, dignified, renounced to some of my best and dearest friends. I lived, breathed, thought, acted only for him. For me, there was but one soul in the universe, Bernard's. Still, for all the suffering I've experienced, I'd be willing to go through it all again just to go over those five months. Every day together, at nights on the lake shore, listening to the soft lap of the waters as the silver sheen of the moon spread over the dainty curled waves. Sometimes in a hammock, swinging among the trees, talking of love and reading poetry. Talk about heaven. I just think there can't be a better time among the angels. But there is an end to all things. A violent illness, and his father relenting, sent for the wayward son. I will always believe he loved me, but he was eager to get home to his mother, and anxious to view Blanche in the light of their new relationship. We had a whole series of parting scenes. Tears and vows and kisses exchanged. We clung to each other after the regulation fashion, and swore never to forget, and to write every day. Then there was a final wrench. I went back to my old life. He, away. Home. For a while I was content. There were daily letters from him to read. His constant admonitions to practice. His many little tokens to adore, until there came a change. Letters less frequent, more mention of Blanche and her love for him. Less of his love for me, until the truth was forced upon me. Then I grew cold and proud, and with an iron will crushed and stamped all love for him out of my tortured heart and cried for vengeance. Yes, quite melodramatic, wasn't it? It is a dramatic tale, though. So I threw off my habits of seclusion and mingled again with men and women and took up all my long-forgotten plans. It's no use telling you how I succeeded. It was really wonderful, wasn't it? It seems as though that fickle goddess Fortune showered every blessing, save one, on my path. Success followed success. Triumph succeeded triumph. I was lionized, feted, petted, caressed by the social and literary world. You often used to wonder how I stood it in all those years. God knows. With the heart-sick weariness and the fierce loathing that possessed me, I don't know myself. But mind you, Eleanor, I schemed well. I had everything seemingly that humanity craved for. But I suffered, and by all the gods, I swore that he should suffer too. Blanche turned against him and married his brother. An unfortunate chain of circumstances drove him from his father's home, branded as a forger. Strange, wasn't it? But money is a strong weapon, and its long arm reaches over leagues and leagues of land and water. One day he found me in a distant city and begged for my love again and for mercy and pity. Blanche was only a mistake, he said, and he loved me alone, and so on. I remembered all his thrilling tones and tender glances, but they might have moved granite now sooner than me. He knelt at my feet and pleaded like a criminal suing for life. I laughed at him and sneered at his misery and told him what he had done for my happiness. 
and what I, in turn, had done for his. Eleanor, to my dying day, I shall never forget his face as he rose from his knees, and with one awful, indescribable look of hate, anguish, and scorn, walked from the room. As he neared the door, all the old love rose in me like a flood, drowning the sorrows of past years, and overwhelming me in a deluge of pity. Strive as I did, I could not repress it. A woman's love is too mighty to be put down with little reasonings. I called to him in terror. Bernard! Bernard! He did not turn, gave no sign of having heard. Bernard, come back! I didn't mean it! He passed slowly away with bent head, out of the house and out of my life. I have never seen him since, never heard of him. Somewhere, perhaps, on God's earth, he wanders outcast, forsaken, loveless. I have my vengeance, but it is like Dead Sea fruit, all bitter ashes to the taste. I am a miserable, heart-weary wreck, a woman with fame, without love. Vengeance is an arrow that often falleth and smiteth the hand of him that sent it. End of section 14. Recording by James K. White. Chula Vista.